we're kind of going after Donald Trump, saying, no, once again, Donald Trump is racist. Donald Trump is not racist. Because, number one, Donald Trump would actually have to care enough about other people to be racist. Now, Donald Trump is, no, it's ridiculous. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. A deadly day in America. Back-to-back shootings shake a bewildered nation. Two cities, 13 hours, more than 30 dead. Those were the headlines after a devastating weekend in the United States. El Paso and Dayton, the latest cities to experience a mass shooting. With a lot of talk this week about gun control, extremism, and domestic terror. This week, Kelly Rinke was in Dayton as the president came to visit. While some, including the mayor, hope that laws will change, dozens of people did not roll out the welcome mat for the president. He didn't care. That's the little thing is nothing. Everybody messes up. More than 100 people swarming Fifth Street, right outside the bar where a gunman murdered nine people. Are you worried about Chicago? No, I'm not. I'm worried about Dayton, Ohio. It was a clash of ideologies. right here. A very tense moment between some Daytonians who believe the president does not care. He has made a division in our country. And his supporters who say his visit will help unify this community. We have a lot of bias here in Dayton. We have a lot of hate here in Dayton. I'm hoping that his visit, President Trump's visit, will help us to uh, get rid of some of that hate and bias. That's what brought this combat veteran to the memorial outside Ned Pepper's bar. <laughs> Five minutes away, though, dozens of others gathered to protest his visit, <laughs> holding their signs and asking for change near the hospital where President Trump paid a visit to the victims. I hope the condolences are words that people um, need and they're healing words. <laughs> But the proof of the pudding is in the action. What, what does next? Some residents, like Stephanie Dickey, want to see changes made to our gun laws. They feel Washington is not doing enough to stop future mass shootings. Assault weapons have only one purpose, and that's for killing humans. And as some wait for action, Dayton's mayor spoke to the president. But she says she's not holding her breath that things will change. Do I think that we're going to see another mass shooting tomorrow or Friday? Probably, because Washington will not move. Law enforcement's going to have to have more teeth. There's got to be better laws that give them more authority to be able to, to prevent this. A divided issue on a divided street, as another community reels from this unimaginable loss. I'm tired of broken promises. We got broken hearts here. United States Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio also met the president, and he says Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell needs to, quote, break his addiction to gun lobby money. The Democrat asked the president to call on Senator McConnell to bring the Senate back for a vote on a gun safety bill that passed the House earlier this year. Reporting in Dayton, I'm Kelly Rinke. Now back to you. Kelly, thanks. As a lot of talk centers now on a federal red flag law, many have pointed to Indiana's red flag law as a potential model. This week we heard from Governor Holcomb and other local officials. Our Kayla Sullivan has a closer look at our state's red flag law. It allows police to take away guns from anyone showing signs that they may want to hurt themselves or others. Since the law was passed in 2005, it's been used more than 700 times in Indianapolis. It always takes a tragedy for people to start talking again about things. For Indiana, that tragedy was the death of Mike Laird's son, Indianapolis officer Jake Laird. He wanted to protect people. 
And he gave his life up for doing that. He's still saving lives with the Jake Laird Law. It allows officers in Indiana to temporarily take guns away from someone if they find probable cause that person may hurt themselves or others. But then it's also got a built-in due process component. The courts decide whether the owner gets the guns back. It does work. Will it work 100% of the time? I'm not going to mislead you, but it does work. Many people, including President Donald Trump, are calling for the expansion of these kind of laws. Indiana Congresswoman Susan Brooks wrote up legislation earlier this year providing grant money to states who choose to enact them. It's called the Jake Laird Act. Makes me feel good if they actually do something with it. Mike Laird hopes it passes soon, but he knows it's not the final solution. It's just a step to try to get things under control. Indianapolis FOP President Rick Snyder agrees. The Jake Laird law is a tool for law enforcement on a pro proactive preventative front. But until we as a society start addressing these issues of the head and the heart. That was Kayla Sullivan reporting. This week we also heard from both of Indiana's senators and from Congressman Andre Carson with differing views on who's to blame and what to do next. Yeah, I'm absolutely heartbroken, as are so many Americans, uh, by this development. It's, um, it's really sad. Uh, clearly, we have a problem in this country. We've got multiple problems. Uh, we got problems of, of hate uh, among some individuals towards others. We have social alienation. Um, we have a problem of, of the devaluing of human life. And we're going to have to work together as a nation to address all these challenges. I think we've, we've heard inflammatory remarks coming from the administration. Um, and I think for us, we have to get serious about gun laws. I'm urging people, Republicans, Democrats, white, black, rich, or poor, to urge Mitch McConnell to call an emergency session to make sure the Senate passes the two House bills that have already been passed. I want to look at all common sense things. They're going to keep guns out of the hands of the mentally ill and criminals. And I think too often Republicans on any issue fail to engage topics not only like gun control, health care, income inequality, the whole gamut. Uh, and I'm going to do that because I want to be in the conversation. And I think the time has come that uh, the red flag law that we have here, it's shown that it's working. And uh, for the sake of uh, devotees like myself to the Second Amendment, uh, if we don't do things that are common sense, I think we'll lose some of that right to bear and keep arms down the road. I, I think Indiana's done a good job with respect to our red flag law. Uh, that's something that needs to be part of the conversation moving forward. Yeah, we're going to be looking at, at all the things we can do from a public policy standpoint, whether it's background checks or uh, additional investments in uh, mental health. Uh, or uh, other areas that I mentioned, but um, I don't think we should overlook the root causes here. Uh, social alienation, uh, devaluing of human life, hatred uh, that uh, has long simmered uh, between some Americans and others, and uh, I will be a constructive and positive voice. I represent all Hoosiers. Uh, I'm here to ensure that uh, uh, Americans don't continue to see these tragedies, to do my part recognizing that, um, you know, in a country of 320-plus million people, um, there will there'll be episodically uh, horrible things that can happen. But um, we need to all do our part, from families to pastors to community leaders to elected officials, uh, to make sure that uh, 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 this is very uncommon. 
Should the Senate look at the two recent bills passed by the House regarding guns? Is that something you'd like to see happen? I've already itemized all the things I think we should look at. My hope is that we don't lose momentum. And while those who support gun rights um, have their philosophical reasons, we can't lose sight of the fact that we still have enterprises and philosophies out there that are destructive, that purport this mythology of racial superiority over another that have to be dealt with. I've met with Southern Poverty Law Center, I've met with the FBI and Homeland Security, and the largest threat to our internal security, unfortunately, comes from white supremacists and white nationalists. I call it what it is, and um, there is absolutely, this is counter-American, it's counter-Hoosier, it's not what we stand for. Um, any supremacist groups um, that seek to um, terrorize or cause fear in, in our population uh, needs to be held accountable for that. And so we ought to, we ought to go at them, uh, whether it's domestic or international uh, terrorism, uh, with uh, all resources that, that we have. Is Donald Trump part of the problem? Donald Trump is trying to fix this, and I want to be a partner uh, in making sure that Indiana continues to lead the way, whether that's got to do with our red flag law, uh, whether that's got to do with our school safety efforts that are underway, whether it's got to do with our um, state police partnerships with local police departments. These are critically important to have a presence in the neighborhood where people um, trust uh, law enforcement. And so we'll continue to uh, hopefully be that shining example of how to. Background checks and red flag laws uh, need to be looked at generally, whether it's universal, I'm going to probably have trouble doing that, but I think you maybe need to strengthen background checks so that they're better at keeping guns uh, out of the hands of people that are going to use them for the wrong reason. A lot of reaction there this week from Indiana's elected officials, of course, on top of everything that happened last weekend across the country. We also had a potentially frightening situation here as police arrested a Muncie Central student who had a gun just off campus. All right, coming up next, what Mayor Pete Buttigieg and other candidates for president are saying about Dayton and El Paso. Plus, we'll talk politics. Could there be a contested convention? We're also talking about the race for mayor here in Indianapolis. Could a staff shakeup speak to deeper problems for one of the campaigns? Stick around. We'll be right back. These barbaric slaughters are an assault upon our communities, an attack upon our nation, and a crime against all of humanity. The president speaking on the gun debate as he made his way to Dayton and El Paso this week, but he's also facing more questions about his political rhetoric in the midst of this very difficult week in our country. Let's bring in our panel right now. Former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, yeah. former communications director for the Indiana Democrats. Jennifer Wagner, editor and publisher of IndiePolitics.org. Abdul Hakim Shabazz and contributing editor for Politico and Indianapolis Monthly. Adam Wren. Mike, the president says that he wants to do something on the issue of background checks when uh, Congress comes back. What will happen when lawmakers return in September? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's no way in telling. There'll be a lot of rhetoric. They'll try to blame each other for everything. But I think that uh, actually Congress could look at just states like Indiana, who've already had the Jake Laird law and some other laws that at least... Red flag laws. Or, yeah, red flag that. laws yep. that are at least a tool um, to help you know, make some progress. Uh, meantime, Congress on its August recess, the president uh, in the Hamptons this past weekend also facing a lot of heat for 
his political rhetoric, which some have blamed for the shooting in El Paso. Well, how did we get here? How do we get these folks who think it's A-OK -okay to walk into a Walmart or walk into an entertainment district and shoot it up based on their own uh, ideological beliefs that a certain uh, race or a certain culture is, is unacceptable and needs to be eliminated? I think he needs to do some soul searching. Laws are great. I think we could do a lot on the universal background checks. I agree with Mike. I think Indiana has been a leader on the red flag law. but. I'm not sure how we actually have a conversation when every other word out of the president's mouth is something offensive that stirs up his base or this base of really angry, hateful people. Is this a tipping point? Um, I think we are at a tipping point, but I have to disagree that the president's necessary is to blame. I mean, what about things like Sandy Hook when Barack Obama was president or, you know, for some of us a little bit older, Columbine back in 1999 when Bill Clinton was president? I mean, I don't think Barack Obama or Bill Clinton's rhetoric or them being president had anything to do. They're just some bad, evil people in this world and we need to realize that. Things like Indiana's red flag Jake Lair law I think will help. But also it behooves at a lot of these instances the parents of somebody will see something they'll go to law enforcement and law enforcement doesn't react. So law enforcement in this part of some of these communities they also have to step up and do the follow-up and do the investigative work as well. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about Indiana's red flag law is that we have data to back it up, that it's safe. Over 10 years, uh, suicide rates have gone down by 7.5% in Indiana uh, by, by the hands of firearms. And I think, you know, as much as possible, whenever you can use data in public policy, that's important. Uh, some, Mike, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, we got to be very careful about laying political blame um, for any party or any candidate because... I don't blame Trump, and I'm not a Trump fan, you know that, but I don't blame Trump for what happened in Texas any more than I blame Elizabeth Warren for what happened in Dayton. You just cannot willy-nilly start blaming people for other people's deaths. Well, and those, I'm not, yeah. those are two different circumstances. There hasn't been any reporting so far to indicate that the Dayton shooter was actually motivated by his leftist ideology uh, to, to actually commit that shooting. So those are a little bit of an apple and orange. And, and I'm not blaming Donald Trump and saying he is the sole reason these shootings are happening. But there is a much heightened political discourse that is honestly the result of uh, a lot of the back and forth by both extremes. I will give you credit. There are people on the left who are just as hateful. but. It does start at the top, and he should probably just tone it down a little bit. What's the harm in doing that? Well, I agree. He's not aspirational by any means. Um, but I don't know. The, the, the president uh, and lawmakers obviously talking a lot about guns as well, as we mentioned. Universal background checks, something that's uh, being talked about. A lot of Republicans saying, no, that's a bridge too far. There was some polling out this week from Morning Consult and Politico asking voters, do you support stricter gun control laws? Seventy-three percent said yes. 27% said no, 90% supported universal background checks, 70% supported an assault weapons ban, also 47% now saying that they perceive white nationalism as a critical threat. That's a 10-point jump since the last time they polled on that question. Obviously, this is a hot topic right now. Congress comes back in September. Will this still be the burning question that it is right now? What about the NRA? The president, a lot of reporting this week about the president having conversations with the NRA, may be willing to go against their wishes. Perhaps. We'll see. Yeah, I think we're really at the beginning of an end of an era of uh, largely unrestricted firearm uh, use in America. Public attitudes are changing. Even when you listen to Senator Braun, uh, you know, talking about increased background checks, I mean, for a Republican like him, that's that's movement. That's 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 progress, one might say. When I was at the NRA convention 
earlier this Which year, is right here, uh, yeah. here in Indianapolis. You know, you talked with rank and file NRI, NRI members. They're good people. They they like their guns. They enjoy target practice hunting. Um, but at the top of that organization, I think the the, the lock hold the, that they have on policymaking is really beginning to wane. Senator Braun had a really interesting uh, remark in that interview we had with him, saying uh, for the for people who support the Second Amendment, he said if we don't do things like these uh, some common sense things, we're going to lose some of that right to bear arms down the road. That was an and, interesting thing for him to say. And it's a sentiment that's actually a lot more out there than you think. I've spoken to a number of folks who are really strong uh, 2A supporters, and while they may not be willing to go as far as, like, you know, say, universal registration or 100% background checks, they all acknowledge, like, hey, if we do not do something now, then we lose the argument, we lose the high ground, and we could actually end up in a worse place afterwards. So they are extremely motivated, if not because it's the right thing to do, but out of a sense of own self-interest to get the, to make sure something is done. All right. Meantime, many of the Democratic candidates for president are in Iowa this weekend at the Iowa State Fair. Much different tone than the recent debate amongst Democrats that saw a lot of infighting. Now the candidates really turning their criticism towards the president in the wake of last weekend's shootings. I believe everything the president says is done encourages white supremacists. And I'm not sure there's much of a distinction. He's turned people against people in this country. That's not what makes us a stronger America. I think they should be back in Washington on an emergency basis dealing with this. But until they are, uh, we're urging everybody to reach out, call their senator, find their senator, and get something done about this. Look, we know that there are a number of measures that can help save lives. We also know that this is not only a matter of gun safety, but of countering violent extremism here at home. Mayor Pete will be at the Iowa State Fair on Tuesday. Also this past week, Adam, you reported on this item for the Daily Beast that the Buttigieg team is preparing, along with other campaigns potentially, for the possibility of a contested convention. Democrats perhaps gearing up for a fight while also united this week in their criticism of the president. That's right. He had a call earlier this week with uh, superdelegates. Uh, basically, any superdelegate that wasn't on the staff for another campaign, he talked to them. He asked for their support. He took questions. Um, they see, as they look at this campaign, certainly they're going with an early state strategy, but they really see a contested convention as a possibility. Jennifer, is this a unifying moment for Democrats, though, in the midst of the events of last week, with Democrats really, as you saw there, turning their criticism directly at, at President Trump? I think it will help unify us, but at the end of the day, only one person gets to run against him, and somebody has to get to that point. So I think Adam's reporting is really interesting, and I think for folks who don't know a lot about the process, the nominating process and the convention process, it's going to be a fascinating couple of months. I know the DNC is meeting uh, this weekend uh, in, in San Francisco uh, to kind of kickstart that process, and, and it's, it's really complicated, um, and I think Mayor Pete's doing the right thing reaching out early. Could we see a contested convention? Oh, I think it'd be fun to see. Milwaukee. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when it's You'd the other side. When we sit here and we watch the Democrat, you know, circular firing squad, they just keep, you know, no, no, I got to be careful I say this because I want to allude to anything last week, yeah, but right. um, it is it's just comical to watch what's going on. And now it looks like they're going to go from 21 or 20 to maybe 8 to the next debate. Right. And uh, some of the good ones aren't going to make it, frankly. And, and that'll be a, perhaps a more defining moment when you see just one night's worth of candidates. All the candidates have a chance to yeah. appear on stage together at the same time. Right. And I think it's even more important for those eight because that's the last debate until, what, next year? I mean, that's 
I mean, as far as your chances for a national stage, right. that's pretty much it, so you better make it count. Let's also talk about the race for mayor in Indianapolis. Adam, another story that you broke this week in your Importantville newsletter on Indiana politics. Jim Merritt's campaign communications director no longer with the campaign, uh, with just months to go until the election. Yeah, it certainly raises questions about his financial wherewithal, whether or not this was uh, a budget issue. Uh, the campaign, of course, denies it, um, but we'll know more um, once they file their quarterly reports closer to uh, September. Does the mayor campaign ha have enough in terms of fundraising to, to take I don't know about the money. We won't know until the reports the come in, but I will tell you, he is working very hard, and he's not getting a lot of attention, frankly. Um, on National Night Out Against Crime, he made 11 stops in dangerous neighborhoods, pointing out that Indianapolis has the second most dangerous neighborhood in America, three out of the top 25. The media didn't mention it at all. He's held a I press conference he, yeah. about every week. I think yeah. he's the, one of the most tireless campaigners in the entire state. I think anybody would be hard-pressed to deny that. Jennifer, well, and I, I think we've seen before in former Mayor Ballard that you don't have to have a lot of money to win a race That's like this. Right. But you do have to have a strategy. And I think, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about public safety, and if he would just stay on that message, he would probably have a, a more steady campaign hand. But one thing, too, to keep in mind, too, that uh, even though Jim may not necessarily have the money to go up on television and sit next to yep. former mayor statues, the one thing that he can <laughs> actually do is when you go to these neighborhoods and talk to these people, these are the people who talk to their friends, that word of mouth right. goes a long way. Okay, we'll leave it there. We'll talk more about it on our podcast for sure. Up next, we'll talk about the mayor of Dayton, Ohio, who's been in the news so much this week, her connection to Indiana right after this. People across central Indiana are honoring the victims of the mass shootings in Dayton and El Paso. Ball State University held this vigil earlier this week, encouraging everyone to value and respect every member of the community. And one central Indiana high school is sending thoughts to Dayton's mayor. That's because Mayor Nan Whaley happens to be a 1994 graduate of Mooresville High School. In a post on Facebook, the Alumni Association said its prayers go out to her as she leads her city through these difficult days. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. All right, we wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Adam. Uh, my winner is my wife, Allison, a public school teacher who's starting her 12th year on Monday. Uh, my loser is the campaign of uh, Senator Jim Merritt. Uh, losing your comms director in August is a difficult thing to come back from. Big winner, Eric Holcomb, cleared by the Inspector General for ethics violations. Uh, not necessarily a loser, but not a good week. Uh, the Adjutant General for the National Guard, uh, subject of a lawsuit that has some really disturbing allegations oh. in it. Jennifer. I only have a loser, and that's anyone who's trying to drive around Indianapolis right now. Because you all almost didn't get Traffic. Mike and I, you yeah, know. that's it's right. <laughs> Barely made it, right? I'm in on a high note. The winner is all the people who have competed and are competing for prizes at the Indiana State Fair over the next couple there of weeks. There you go. Sounds good. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. More to discuss here on the podcast this week with Adam Wren and Abdul Hakim Shabazz. We're talking about the, uh, the race for mayor, an item you broke this week in the Importantville newsletter, the Merit Campaign and its communications director. Uh, parting ways, the campaign telling you, no, this does not have to do with uh, a lack of money to, to staff. What do you see as you look at this mayoral race right now? You know, I have some reporting that would suggest otherwise um, that, that will continue to break over the next couple of weeks that there actually is a cash problem um, and that they could no longer afford their communications director. Uh, but, you know, they deny that. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, August is a slow month. A lot of people aren't paying attention to the mayor's race. 
But to have someone who was on your senior staff uh, part ways with your campaign a couple of months before the election can't can't be good um, for any reason. No, and I, I agree. You know, from an optics perspective, well, first of all, I have no reason to doubt to take the people at the mayor folks at their word until I see evidence to the to the contrary. Uh, but from an optics perspective, I, I think Adam is right. I mean, you know, the election is less than ninety days away. Your communications person you know, kind of leaves and you had some other kind of folks moving around, it, it doesn't help. The, the good news is for the married people, the only folks really, really paying attention are people like us, who, political who, who, who are the, yes. the, political, the political chatter talking class in the right. bubble. But unfortunately, also people paying attention are people who may be donating or contributing to a campaign. If they see things that are maybe kind of going off the rails a little bit, they may be sort of like, well, I was going to give money, now it may be a little bit harder to and, do. And that's the question. Is there enough gas in the tank when it comes to fundraising uh, for the Merrick campaign? Well, the one thing to keep in mind is, I mean, and not to kneel at the altar of Greg Ballard, but people need to remember Greg Ballard only he didn't had, have a lot. You know, he, he, he had, he had less, costs. you know, $50,000 yeah. right. and, you know, two part-time staff people, and that was it. Now, he also had some other things on, on the ground as well. Uh, so does, does money necessarily dictate the outcome? Not necessarily, but I'd rather be the guy with money than without it. I think Abdul makes a smart point in the message that this sends to people who might donate to the campa campaign. You know, those sort of official Republicans, people on the city county council, you know, have have expressed um, in, you know, stories published by the Indianapolis Star and others, you know, dismay at the way that Merritt is approaching the campaign in terms of professionalism, in ter terms of his messaging, in terms of going after um, uh, the Department of P Public Works uh, Director Dan Parker. So um, I, I do think that there is a sense among even Indianapolis Republicans that the Merritt campaign so far is, has vastly underperformed expectations. But with all due uh, respect to some of my Republican friends, no offense, but he stepped up when nobody else would. I don't see any of those guys, because you a lot of times a candidate for mayor may come from your city county council or may come from some other elected office. It's a local business yeah, owner. Although, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't recall any of these guys stepping right. up to go right against against right. Joe Hogshead. So let's, let's just keep all this in perspective. We'll see where all of that heads next. You are headed to Iowa next week as Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend uh, heads to the Iowa State Fair for some turkey legs, uh, no doubt. Always a big highlight of that event. But it really is uh, always in, in terms of Iowa presidential politics. A pretty important event for all the candidates to go with in front of what's called the, the Des Moines Register soapbox and speak to regular uh, caucus goers there in Iowa about their campaigns. Yeah, I think the Iowa State Fair is an underrated political event in the life of the country because it's one of the rare instances where you see a politician um, sort of mingling with everyday people, but also um, doing things like, you know, he's probably going to have to grill a pork chop. He's, people are going to be scrutinizing what kind of food he eats. Uh, John, Can he really milk a cow? That's right. Well, <laughs> the butter, yeah, the butter cow. But like John Kerry famously ordered a smoothie, a strawberry strawberry smoothie. A $4 strawberry that's, smoothie. That's right. Yeah. And that was significant. That, that impacted Pretty his image. Sealed um, that elitist image. That's, that that's right. And so, right. you know, yeah. is, can, can Buttigieg grill a pork chop? Can he, you know, eat bacon, bacon wrapped bacon? Do, um, do all of those optics matter in this stage in the I, age of well, Donald Trump, right? the, the last time that I was at that, it's interesting you mentioned that, the last time I was at the Iowa State Fair was in August of 2015, um, following um, uh, President Trump at the time. He wasn't president yet. And Trump, yeah. yeah, he wore uh, French cuffs, uh, walking, right. do walking that. down yeah. um, he was in a golf cart, Midway. I, I that's, believe. that's right. Which he was in a golf Fred cart. Thompson's, that's uh, right. Iowa bid. Um, you see, but I think it's, right. I think it's a little bit of a different creature because Donald Trump, even before, 
he became president was such an established brand mm -hmm. and had such an established right. identity that if you saw him walking down the midway at the Iowa State Fair and something other than French Cubs, right. you'd have thought he was sort of pandering. And know. he sort of campaigned on, I'm going to do things differently. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think from that perspective, best. Donald yeah. Trump is a little bit of a different creature. But yeah. it, it does matter in the sense that when you are in Iowa, which is a caucus state, we used to live there. Uh, when my dad worked for the military, I mean, these are the stuff that the caucus goers pay attention to, and you're not, necessarily, you're not necessarily playing to the national universe, you're playing to those people who are going to come gather in February right. and decide whether you're going to win Iowa. And it's especially important to Buttigieg because he's investing a lot of Iowa, uh, resources in Iowa. Um, he has a little more than 60 staffers right now, uh, not too far behind frontrunners like Joe Biden who has 75 and Elizabeth Warren who I think has 65. Um, so he's really putting a lot of resources there and he, you know, there are three tickets out of Iowa. Right. And he's he, fifth in the polls now. That's right. Obviously, yeah. he has to have a strong showing. He's got it. So, yeah. you know, events like this aren't a do or die, but they are a good, like, halftime indicator as to how is his campaign doing there? Are there a lot of organizers on the ground? Is there enthusiasm in the grassroots? And he's actually headed there a bit later than most of the other candidates who are there this weekend. So we'll have some coverage uh, coming up next week uh, from the Iowa State Fair. Obviously, a lot of the talk there with the presidential candidates and uh, at the Iowa State Fair has centered, as we talked about on the program, the events of this past week in Dayton and El Paso and all of the Democrats really after what was a pretty ugly debate with a lot of infighting, the most recent debate, uh, sort of all now turning uh, their attention and their scrutiny toward the president and toward the events of this past week, toward the issue of gun control, and toward the issue of white nationalism. Yeah, um, one thing I will say uh, in all this is, I know we do our kind of winners and losers segment on the, on the, right. on the television program, but I have to give credit to Jim Banks, uh, Congressman, uh, Indiana Congressman out of Fort Wayne before I get to the Democrats, because he called out white supremacy and white nationalism, said no, it's just to as, do it first to do weekend. it, you know, yeah. saying just as bad as Islamic you know, sponsored terrorism and the whole nine yards, and the pushback that he got from some people for calling out you know, white nationalism and white supremacy. I'm like, whoa, 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 there's, there's really nothing to debate here. The pushback you got to some conservative circle. So unlike maybe some other folks who are abusing, you know, for political purposes and, you know, kind of going after Donald Trump, saying, no, once again, Donald Trump is racist. Donald Trump is not racist. Because, number one, Donald Trump would actually have to care enough about other people to be racist. Now, Donald Trump is, no, it's ridiculous. But, but I do think that the bigger issue is how do we keep guns out of the hands of the bad guys. You'll, you'll not be able to do it all the time because the very nature of bad people means they don't obey the law. So when we talk about laws and things we should do, we need to keep in mind that the criminals, by the very nature that they are criminals, are not going to obey the law. But obviously the president is facing that scrutiny, and that is a central question that a lot of the Democratic presidential candidates are answering affirmatively, that they believe the president is a white supremacist. Yeah, uh, I think six uh, six candidates so far, including Pete Buttigieg, have called him uh, a white supremacist, which is a, a pretty remarkable uh, phrase to level at the leader of the free world. Um, you know, whether he is or not, that's going to be up to voters and other people. Uh, but I, I do agree with Abdul. I think, you know, it, it, people will, will respond to someone like Representative Jim Banks, who, who says something that shouldn't be controversial like that, um, with, with, you know, people on the left will say, well, what's your, what's your plan? What's your solution? People on the right, as Abdul mentioned, will criticize him for saying that. But I do think that is a really courageous moment um, for him to, to say that and to be clear about that um, when so many other members of the delegation weren't willing to state that fact, which is, it, it really is a fact. It's, it's an objective uh, assessment of the situation. Uh, more, have, uh, more Republicans, obviously, since then have said he was one of the first this yeah. past weekend. Abdul, Adam, thank you both so much. We Our appreciate pleasure. it. We'll see you again next week.